Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey guys, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. You know, on our show, there may be no topic we discuss more than lava. And we've never done an official episode before, so this is it. You know, and normally right now we'd go to our adventures in screenwriting, but we just dropped a bonus episode checking in after our summer vacation. So check that out. We got into some really interesting stuff over there, not just about uh, the travel log of our vacation, but more about how it affected us and what we were up to um, while we were away. Um, But today, lava. Okay, so first, for those who don't know, I've told this story on the show, but just in case people don't know where it comes from, um, I was working with a friend of mine whose script uh, was had a uh, special needs kid in it. He has a special needs kid. I have a special needs kid. And we were digging in, trying to make it more emotional. And I said to him, well, tell me about your son. Let's just not worry about the script for a second. Just tell me about your son. Let's dig in. But everything he said kind of stayed on the top level about the, um, the the work they were doing with him, the schooling, picking a school, what kind of therapies. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to tell you about my son. And I told him about the time that I was in Target with my son at the time he was like eight or 10. And he um, pissed himself and then had a meltdown in Target. And I had to get him into the women's room. And all the ladies are looking at me like, why are you bringing this boy child in here? And he starts to scream because he is feeling the embarrassment of being there. And then I'm realizing, shit, I don't even have anything for him to change into. How am I going to get out of here to buy pants, to bring him in? And I just had this moment where I was like, God, I just, I just wish you could be normal. And it was just a fleeting thing, but now I'm crashing down into shame that I even felt that because I, of course I love my son and I love him just as he is. And I kind of went even deeper and deeper into that uh, very personal moment as being the parent of a special needs kid. And he looked at me, my friend and said, so you want me to stick my face in lava? And I said, no, your whole body. So that kind of became a shorthand for us on the show of digging down into your most vulnerable self and how to bring that to your writing and your storytelling, because that really is what that vulnerability is what makes great storytelling and what, why the audience is going to care about your characters. It's the emotional connection to your characters. Um, And, you know, we understand that the trick of that lava, as you guys get brave because it is an act of bravery and you dig down into it, you know, it's a lot of it's unconscious, right? you your lava just is bubbling down there. And most of your thinking part of your brain is doing everything it can to keep you away from it. So now we're asking your brain to let it up. And I know that can in of itself can be a journey. Um, you know, you might just be writing something because you have this drive to talk about a character, not even knowing the lid it's sitting on and what's going to come up. I personally think your lava is coming from also a very ancient wise part of you and it's wanting you to think to uh to uh use it in a in in a way and and evolve yourself as an artist but um you know lava is ultimately why your characters behave in a certain way it's it's a lot of the subtext um and you don't have to know exactly uh in your conscious brain kind of what it is and um, be able to control it and be very kind of intellectual about it, that would actually kill it on the page, I think. You know, and that's what therapy's for. Therapy is to go and kind of get some mastery or not even mastery, acceptance. Let's just start there over it, right? That's what therapy is. I'm not, we're not really talking about that. We're talking about it more as juice, <laughs> you know, so that when you're writing, you literally feel it in your body. Like you can literally feel it in your gut. Now, am I saying this happens all the time? No, I'm not. A lot of times writing is just, you know, hardcore going up the mountain, but you're always pushing towards something that Andrew Stanton calls truth. It just feels true. 
it just resonates through you. And I used to tell my students when I taught, you know, if there's not one scene in your script that makes you wanna throw up, you're not there yet. Um, or maybe run around the block would be a better, like anything to get away from writing the scene. You're right on it and it will feel kind of like fire. And I think you've got to push right into it. And when I was an executive, I could tell when writers bailed, when they were moving right towards the lava, it was getting very, very honest and interesting. And then all of a sudden it became very intellectual and the whole script goes a different direction. And oh, I was like, okay, well, they bailed. It's been so interesting to see where that went. Um, and, you know, just as an example of this, I was, and he's told this story, so I feel comfortable telling it, but um, I was working with Dan Scanlon, who directed Onward back when he was in development, and he was kind of looking for the deeper pulse of what he was trying to do. He was looking for this lava section point so that he could dig it up and put it into his work and, and kind of get his hands around it. Um, what is this about? What, what am I driving towards? And he pretty much spent the day talking about his father who had died when he was very, very young. And the implications of that in his family and for himself and kind of towards the end, and I just asked a lot, a lot of questions, digging, digging, digging. And then kind of towards the end of the day, he said to me, you know, you know, you want to know the truth. Here's the truth. I don't miss my dad because I didn't know him. I didn't have a dad. And I think I feel like I'm supposed to and people expect me to have a complex over it, but I kind of don't which is very brave to say, you know, it's very, very brave to say. And I looked at him and now I, he'd been talking all day. This is not like I'm a genius. He literally told me this all day. I said, well, I also think you don't miss your dad because you had a dad. Your older brother is the one who you told me went to the basketball games and taught you how to ride a bike and did all of the things that your dad would have done. Your dad took, you know, took that role. And his face just like cracked open. He was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not, you just, you, that's the, all the stories you told me. Um, and it really moved him because he suddenly realized it, something that he had been living and telling, but hadn't come into his conscious brain yet of um, that relationship that he had with his father. And then that became you know, kind of where that, because he knew he was telling a story about his father's death and his brother. He just didn't know where it was going. So, you know, because he was able to step into the lava first, which he had been doing all day, of course, right? Because he's really telling these stories about his childhood and things that made him feel happy, sad, terrified. He, we went through all of that, which, so it's up and walking around. And then it finally, he got to you know, well, I, I don't even know if I miss him. Like that is a very vulnerable thing to say, which led us down into the next level. So that's an example of in development when you're doing something a little more autobiographical, which it was for him, because um, it literally is about a missing dad. Um, uh, so uh, he, that was just an example of us digging around in the lava to find story. Um, I don't think that it always has to be that direct. Um, you don't always have to be doing autobiographical stories. Um, so I would use it as an example on the Screenwriting Life Facebook group when they were asking this. I kind of used it as, you know, you can also use your lava when you're just trying to dig dig into a character. So if you think, to me, the easiest, it's almost like method acting, right? Where the actor gets so deep into it, using stuff from their own life to imbue this character with honesty and authenticity and emotion and layers. So in essence, it's a version of method acting for writing. So if you think about Winnie the Pooh, right? You know, Winnie the Pooh is gonna hold all your hopes and dreams and naivete, that little naive part of yourself that you keep, you know, as an adult, you keep kind of tucked away in a cupboard. It's gonna, and it's also gonna hold Eeyore and your doubts and your depression and your why bother? And it's gonna hold, your little nervous worried piglet. And you know, so all different parts of you that are very authentic to you, no matter where they're coming from, you can put into your characters and kind of the archetypes or the, uh, imbue those archetypes with kind of truth. So for example, on Inside Out, I'm trying to bring the authenticity and vulnerability of being a parent uh, because joy ultimately is a parent. 
And I'm trying to bring the authenticity of what it means to be an 11 year old girl. And I'm go and and I happen to be a girl who moved too. So I was able to dig into that. So, you know, lava exercises are things like thinking about when you were the most afraid or ashamed, um, fear, sadness, anger, they're all bubbling down in there because those are all things that are going to make you feel vulnerable. Um, so it's basically, and when you do this kind of deeper work, and I'm not saying you're doing it all the time, sometimes you have to go off and do your intellectual work and what's the structure, and but the structure should be based on where you were driving to at the end of act two, which is very much lava. Um, you know, I want your end of act two moment to make you feel something every time you think about it, every time you have to pitch it. I want it to you to feel it in your guts. Um, because if you feel it in your guts, every time you tell somebody you're in the back too, your listener will also feel it in their guts. Um, and the way to get to that is to be super brave and push into it. Um, and a lot of time, if you get really weird notes, it might be because people don't know what the kind of guiding light of it is emotionally. So they're throwing stuff in, trying to excavate it this is your work to do. It's why it's artistry and not a craft, right? There's craft in our work as writers, but really what we're talking about is the artistry of, of doing it. Um, so that's kind of what lava and what it is and how it kind of, we use it in the show. Um, and then Lauren, you had some ideas about it that I know that you wanted to share and Jeff, and then we have some questions from you guys, just so we can hone in a little deeper. Yeah, I love a lot of what you said. I mean, I love all of what you said, um, but um, I thought it was really great and really resonated with me. And uh, I love listening to you talk and how you tell stories. So thank you. Um, for me, uh, getting into the lava means like Andrew said, telling the truth, um, but not the literal truth, not the facts. Uh, my struggle has been that I can get very vulnerable pretty easily and dig into the pain pretty easily. But when I write straight into that, it is uh, not something anyone wants to read. It's just too raw. So I have had to learn a couple of things, which I you know and a couple of exercises to do, which I work with other writers as well, is that the most important thing for me is that I am not my characters. Yes, they come from me, but they are beings that I have invited into me. And then I sort of create a contract with them where I trust them to know what their story is. And then I ask them to trust me to be the person to tell their story. And what that means is then I get to create a space where they are going to be able to be vulnerable. It is not, we do not have the same background or the same name. We don't live in the same house. We don't journey in the same cities um, because that creates some distance for me. Um, so I am not my characters. Even when I am literally writing something that actually happened to me, it's happening to someone else. So their reaction is going to be different and the people involved are going to be different so that I can connect with them and it is incredibly relatable. I know how you're feeling, right? This woman that I'm watching in this extraordinary situation, I can relate to her, but it's not happening to me. Um, one of the ways that I think about this is that, um, when you have a friend who's in extraordinary pain around something and you are experiencing the same or similar thing, you can sit with each other, but you can't really comfort each other in a way, uh, like witness somebody. Like I think of that scene with um, Bing Bong and sadness, right? And sadness just sits there and, and is with Bing Bong, right? Because sadness knows what that feels like, but it's not actively in it. Um, so, uh, I can't, I, I can't, uh, other people probably can, I'm not sure, but if I am actively in pain or trauma or experiencing something, it is really hard for me to write my character. I have to be moved, I have to have moved through it a bit so that I can be available for my character when they're going through it. And I've told the story on the show before, I took me years and years to write this very personal pilot because I was still very actively in it. Um, and I recently discovered that I thought I could write about type one diabetes and I cannot. Uh, it's, I'm still very much actively in that. Yeah. So I, um, I'm just not going to right now. And I don't feel like I need to push myself in it. So I think for me, it's, I am not my characters. Um, and uh, that I can protect myself going into those vulnerable raw spaces by 
knowing that and, and allowing those characters to be who they are and that I'm not controlling them, which is really hard. It's hard. Yeah, which like, is why it's left. easier in animation, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. easier in animation. Like if you're, you know, it's Winnie the Pooh and a pig and a in a donkey. Like it does immediately creates some some yeah. boundaries for your brain. I mean, it, trauma is a really good word to bring up because lava is not trauma. No, I'm not. That's not what we're talking about. Like I'm not saying they're not kissing cousins. Um, and certainly lava can, you know, it can um can start pinging up that trauma if you're so. But the trauma is what you need to bring to the therapist. You need yes. to bring to a helper, whoever that helper is for you. Cause if you're, I don't ever want it to re-traumatize. That would not be like, this is not about re-traumatizing. Um, so if that trauma is up and walking around or you realize you haven't worked it out or it's re-traumatizing, nah, no, 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 right? Like, please right. take that and get support. This is more about um, like, for example, uh, when I was asked to write Riley coming back uh, after we had outlined it and she's going to come back after her parents, after she almost ran away. And I had like maybe an hour to write that scene. <laughs> so we were going so fast. Uh, Lorraine, you remember. And um, I was like, what? Blech! And I just, because I had to write it so fast, all of the normal guards that would have come up to stop me from feeling what it feels like to talk to your parents weren't up because I just had to go too fast, which is sometimes why I'm like, barf it out as fast as you can because the guards can't come up and it's just barf. So there's no judgment. And to see, because suddenly Riley is saying to her parents, you want me to be happy, but I'm not. And that I suddenly realized, and I actually realized it watching it in the, <laughs> in the movie theater, like, oh my God, that's what I wanted to say to my parents when I was 11, but I wasn't brave enough, but Riley is. Now, that is lava for me, right? Because I did live in a house where you had to be happy all the time. And if you, and it, you had to get become kind of hypervigilance, right? Or dissociative to, to, to do that. At least that was my experience of it. There were five kids. I'm sure everybody had a different experience. Um, so it came, it just found its way in. It's like, there it is, right? So I'm in it, but it's not me. I'm not Riley. Riley's an 11 year old girl who moved to San Francisco. And you know what I mean? Yep. And I can talk about that because A, it's, I'm very far away from being an 11 year old girl. Both my parents are dead, right? I can have some objectivity on it. I do think there's things that could be happening right now that are gonna come pinging in. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily if it's something you feel like you can do. And, it, it, and it's giving you, a place that feels good to let it out and let your character mm -hmm. hold it for you. They yeah. are holding it for you. Um, Do you think, yeah, I think therapy is a really good place. Uh, another thing that I think is really good is checking back in with your body, getting back into your body. Like crying while you're writing is totally fine. Feeling angry, grief, but knowing when it is tipping into the trauma place and knowing what that feels like and sort of being able to protect yourself. For yeah. me, it's about, sometimes I just have to stand up and like shake my arms and legs around and remember that I am not in that trauma. That's I that. am in my office, in my body, my arms move like this. I can go outside and stand outside and sing or shout that, that it's pulling yourself out of it and getting in the practice of being able to do that so that you have a little bit more, you don't get sucked into it. And then you're lost for two hours sobbing. You know, I'm all about yeah. crying while writing, but for me, it's about fraud syndrome and frustration, and not about like just like allowing myself to hurt myself because that's what that can feel like, like punishment. Yeah, if you a if it bit. goes too if it goes too far, it can move into trauma and re-traumatizing, and then you're either lost in it um, without any kind of you know ladders in the pool, right? Uh, or the other thing that can happen that tells you you're. Uh, not having enough boundaries around it is you're starting to dissociate. You're starting to not feel anything in your body uh, because some part of you is now literally like, bye-bye, <laughs> it's left, right? Then you're in, you're getting close to a traumatized memory. And that's that's something else to be, I yeah. listen, I'm sure there are writers who have the ability or have gained the ability to talk about that trauma in their writing. Um, there's a, I mean, I, there's some I could guess who are doing it very powerfully, but I'm not, we're not saying that's what you have to do. Right. And if you can do it, great. But for people who feel they get a little lost, I think it's a great thing to always remember your character's holding it for you, but it's not you. I think that's really great. Yeah. Um, I want to talk, I want to get to Jeff too, but I, I think there's a, um, 
what you're talking about, Meg, is self-knowledge and not how it should be done. How do you get into the lava? How do you protect yourself? It's knowing yourself and what your boundaries and limits are and sort of what your discipline is. Like, I know I have to stand up and jump around and sing a song that's embarrassing to anyone who might witness it. But like, that's how I get back in to feeling like, oh, I'm a person and I'm this old and I live in this house and I am not 10 years old living in that grief moment, you know, and I do need to get in there, but I need to come out too. So it's about um, knowing yourself and what works for you. If it feels bad, you don't have to keep pushing in and through it, right? You go talk to a therapist, you talk to a friend, you, you do the thing, like it shouldn't, I don't think if it feels bad, too bad to me, then I can't, I can't successfully tell that story. Um, right. And for me, if the bad feeling is in and holding with the characters holding that bad feeling, she's feeling bad, he's feeling bad, it's feeling bad. That's okay. Mm -hmm. If I'm yep. tunneling it all into that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, and it is a tricky, it's a tricky um, line, but it is something that I just, you know, it's not going to be something that you're going to work out in your logic brain doing your outline bad lava here like that's not what's yeah. gonna happen you might <laughs> nope. want to as I do all the time like oh this will be very emotional to me when I write this scene and then you get there and you it's not emotional at all and you're like shit which shit. is why I vomit it all out I like to write it and write right into it and then I pull out I'm like okay structurally what yeah is exactly really that's why about? for me that's a little easier than yeah. trying to find it in an outline I mean that's yeah. it's this is more of the writer's brain, that right side, the actual writer who's going to go there because it's been knocking on the door. Uh, the, uh, you know, and sometimes I say, you know, if you've got a character, I, had a, I was working with a guy once and his, he was such a great writer, but one character was so cliche, the dad character and a note could be cut it. But the more and more I talked to him, I was like, oh my God, all the lava is sitting over there in that character. And his brain is just flattening it out because it's like, don't look over there. Don't even look at that character. <laughs> it's just a supporting character. It doesn't, it's just an archetype. And as soon as you scratch it, it was like, Woof. and I was like, oh, well, I think this is about the dad. Yeah. Um, but sometimes when you're giving a... notes, if you get a big response, it's because you're getting lava coming up and that, and it, there's a protector coming up. And so sometimes I don't mind if people get mad at me when I'm giving them notes, meaning when I'm asking them questions, because I'm like, oh, we're right on it. Take a breath, take a breath right now. What is yeah. scary? When I'm writing, you? sorry. Yeah, go ahead. When I'm writing into that, I go through like the five stages of grief usually because my stuff is usually about grief and loss. So it's like anger. If I write this this way, then maybe I don't have to write this compromise, bar you know, bargaining, whatever it is, like sadness, fear. Like all, I go through all of those until I can finally, oh God, okay. Like I do have a, a process of skating around it. And sometimes if I accidentally write right into it, it's terrifying. Oh my God, oh, like you said about the right, like, oh my God, it's here, it's, ah, I can't, it's so hot. I gotta go run around. Then the trick is coming back into it and really looking what I wrote. Cause I'll be like, there, I wrote it, it's great, it's fine. Okay, I'm moving on, I'm turning the page, right? So it's, uh, <laughs> I'm a very dynamic writer. I run around, I sing, I turn, I shout. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, but yeah, it's. It, but it's different for everybody and everybody is going to have their own process around it. And that's so important to remember. And I know we talk about this on the show quite a bit, that there is no one way to do this, but there is a way to discover what works for you, what feels safe for you, what feels fun and healthy and challenging in the ways that um, get you where you want to go. Like following the way I do it might not work for you. Following the way Meg does it might not work for you. And that's fine. You know, you might not even, the idea of lava might be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I need a different word. Like, great. It, I don't think either of us are saying like, this is, this is what it is and here's how it works. No, so I just think that's really important to tell myself as well. Cause I can get stuck in that loop, right? Oh, look how Meg's doing it. Meg's doing it this way. It's working for her. What if I try that? And then I just feel bad about myself when it doesn't work. Yeah, then that's, <laughs> then you're in lava. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, what you then, wanted to talk to about it. Well, just thanks both of you so much for sharing. I, I feel like one of the reasons we're often afraid to write toward the lava is because for me, it's often associated with shame and failure. Like, I feel like a lot of my lava has to do with times in my life where I didn't handle something the right way, or maybe wasn't a good person or, um, you know, and so I think like, I'm often afraid to write about it. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm afraid to relive this 
in my own life as it is, why would I write it down for other people to see? Like, why would I be naked in front of everyone? Um, but the, the ironic thing is that's always the thing people connect with most. Um, so this most recent movie, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, we're like having a film festival. What the fuck am I doing? Like, this is like, why would I do this? Why would I show this to people in front of people? But the things I was most horrified for people to see, everyone loved. And like, specifically, I mentioned it like a couple months ago, but my family, who's pretty different than me and maybe a little more conservative than me or traditional than me, they were really moved by the parts that I assumed they would be most um, ashamed by or embarrassed about. Um, but they really, when you choose to be vulnerable, people are very moved by it because all of a sudden they feel free to be vulnerable themselves or let go of something, especially when you can show how characters can heal and grow from those lava moments. It gives your audience permission to feel like they can do the same thing. Yes, it goes back to the Greeks. It's a cathartic moment. Yeah. You're offering the audience a catharsis. Well, guess who has to do it first? Right. Yeah. yeah the writer has to do the catharsis first. And so it can feel quite bumpy to go into that catharsis. Um, but it's it is a hundred percent what connects people to your work because it's true mm -hmm. and you've tapped something that's about the human condition to us it feels so personal right and just so like oh I'm bringing up this personal thing that I did and I'm ashamed of or or I was so afraid or what but that is the human condition shame and fear and failure and joy and you know wonderful things too but this is the stuff that roots it down and makes it feel real and like they're not alone people aren't alone in right. feeling those things, which we can all feel like half of the reason we're we've locked it away that shame and fear is because we think it kind of puts a target on our back or like a big red arrow, you know, something's wrong with this person. But in fact, it is the thing that connects you to everybody else. Um, and that's that's the power of it. Um, and to and, your you material. Know, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah but no, and your material. Yeah. Yeah. I think like if you're getting the note, like they're like, oh, the story was good or like the plot was exciting, but like I couldn't connect to it. Usually to me, like that's always the word that indicates a lava problem. Um, so like the note under the note is always like you just didn't quite dig deep enough, you know, um, and it's going to be really scary and painful. But like that's OK, because that's ironically the thing that is going to make someone fall in love with your work. And what can be painful is when you get to the lava and you realize, well, this is gold, but it means I have to change the whole story. <laughs> and you're like, yep. but I've just spent two years on this thing. Right. Shit. <laughs> right. And you're like, yeah. well, you got to try it. You got to try it. Even as but that's also story. what actors are looking for when they're reading material, right? They're looking for that deeper, relatable thing that they can grab a hold of and tell that story through their So craft. they can be authentic. And they can root down into something. Yes, that is exactly what, and they can layer up and hide. You know, Jody used to say that when she uh, was building a character, she first went to their shame and fear because the rest of the personality is built to keep people away from that, right? So that's how you can start to layer a character as an actor. And I'm not saying you're thinking about that when you're writing necessarily, you aren't. You're just letting the character walk around but I really do believe if you stay in long enough in the writing process that lava comes knocking at the door all of a sudden your character is going to take a right when you thought they were going to take a left and you're going to be like what is happening right now why is I, she doing that and you have to let her do it even just for a writing exercise you don't have to put your script just let it keep going let's just see where it goes that's an exercise I did with a recent class where I was like okay let's just write that scene the scene that you're afraid to write <clears throat> excuse me you know let's just write it and write the worst, worst, worst possible version of it. And then great. So then I had them stop and I was like, okay, now the first line is the last line. Now write a whole new scene. Let's keep going. Right. And I kept doing that. And because then you can't, you can't stop when it gets scary. You have to just keep going and keep following it. And that's why it's important for me to write for long stretches of time and to like, okay, I'm, I feel safe. This is good. What's happening. I'm, you know, to follow those threads because that's usually where it is. Yeah, and then um, the editor like, can, the intellect can come in later and start shaping mm -hmm. it into, okay, well, we have to do a story and it has to be entertaining and blah, 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 blah. But uh, that's the clay. And, you know, then it just becomes more um, a complex process when now you have a director, right? Or you have a producer and they're starting to participate 
and they are looking for authenticity and they are looking for that groundedness. Um, but it, it has to be relatable to them too, especially the director, right? They have to be emotionally grounded into what you're grounding into. And if you've gotten deep enough into the human condition, of course it will be. But getting there, you know, that can take some drafts to get down into that uh, with clarity. Sometimes you can feel it and you can write from it, but now you have to pitch it or tell a director or tell other people and you're like, no words, I need a word, right? And sometimes that's where I get a little bit stuck. It's like, well, I can feel this, but I need to be able to tell everybody else what this is, right? And sometimes it is what the character's saying. You want me to be happy, but I'm not, or it could be, you know, joy physically realizing with that memory, oh, sadness helped that day, right? Like it, it can physicalize outside and out of the character into that realization epiphany moment. Um, and those are, those just, that just takes work to get to that kind of clarity from the emotion into the intellect. It can take, it can take some work. I just had this happen and there's a little exercise I do where I can see it outside of the scene happening. I can see all the characters. I know what's going on. I know what's supposed to go on, but I can't quite get inside a character. So I do sort of uh, being John Malkovich kind of exercise where I go into the character. I don't hear their thoughts or feel their feelings, but I just look at the world through their eyes Right, so I'm like down at their level, looking at whatever they're looking at. And then it helps me like, okay, this is what they're looking at. And then I can kind of step out right next to them. And then I can kind of feel what they're feeling without like being inside their body. But it, it helps me to like move from being this sort of the God watching it or orchestrating it. And like, oh, right, this is a, a creature, a person, a being, and they can see the world in a different way. And then stepping right now, I know I'm repeating myself, but right next to and like, oh, now I can, sort of document yeah. and slow down, right? Because a lot of times when you're writing, you're sort of racing through and you're trying to get it all down, but this is how I can go back in and like, okay, wow, she has a lot of feelings here. And I'm just gonna take a beat because I'm not looking at everybody else. I'm standing right next to her and documenting what she's doing. Um, again, I'm not her, she's not me, but that helps me connect to her. And then I can do it with all the characters too. And that helps in a scene. Well, cause you know, a lot of writers are empaths, right? So you're in, in essence being empathic with that character to such a deep level that you do what you're not supposed to do in real life, projecting your own stuff into them. <laughs> you're not supposed to well, do no, that no, So life, they're but... projecting their stuff onto me. That's, how I, that's how I keep myself <laughs> safe, right? That's there how you. I live this fantasy that my character's not me that I'm not controlling them, that I'm just documenting what's going on, right? That's how I protect myself. Right, like, all right, show me what you got. And then, yeah, yeah that's, that's the fantasy cute. I live in, in my fantasies. <laughs> I, I like it, I like it. Did we have some questions that we can answer uh, for, uh, that are coming from the Facebook group just so we can, yeah, if there's I, anything we need to dig in deeper? I think some of them have probably been covered because um, you all were beautifully thorough, but let's take a look. Um, when is, well, yeah, this is good. When is the lava too hot or too soon to go into? I think we kind of talked about that. It feels like you're, I mean, Lorraine, what would you say? How do you know that right now it's too hot for diet for you to write about diabetes? For me, uh, because when I try to write about it, I, uh, I get overwhelmed and I am unable to focus into a character about it. And then I start getting into the, it feels, and then I get popped back out and I am then imagining actual experiences I'm having with mm. my daughter around it and the anger and the fear and the shame. And, and then my story is taking over too much. Mm. So I can't do the thing where I stand next to a character and I feel what they're feeling. It's me. I am feeling everything. I'm taking up the whole room and pushing the characters out. Mm. So, um, and then usually I'm writing, I can tell if the tone is off. Like if I'm like, I'm writing a a six to 11 animation show. And all of a sudden I'm writing an adult drama tone in it. I'm like, okay, that's me. That's not this project, right? Um, I can tell when it's just a wall of anger and I have characters stomping around telling everyone to fuck off at the Trader Joe's. Not <laughs> great kid content, um, you know, like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's for me, it's when it feels uh, like I'm excising something like, I'm cutting something out of myself and plopping it down on the page. It feels faceless and messy. And I don't feel like I'm actually connecting to that. Meg, you talk about like the, the mat, you know, the, the spout or the magic, like I'm not grabbing a hold of clay. I'm just like bleeding. 
yeah, for me, and my body gets really hot. Mm-hmm. I, I start to sweat, yeah. right? I, I get hot and uncomfortable. And I, sometimes I feel like I'm going to throw up. Um, and not in that exciting, oh my God, I'm onto something amazing kind of hot and it's going to throw up, but like um, the bad kind. I love that. And again, I think it's, I think, I think if you're in the trauma currently, it's actively walking around in your life, that's going to be pretty hard to get any kind of objective distance on, even when you're trying to bring your intellect into it. And those are all good indicators that Lorian's saying. I just want to be careful that people don't use this, what we're saying as an excuse to, well, that doesn't feel good. So I'm not going to do it. And off I trundle on my merry way, leaving that lava pool. It is not going to feel good when you first start moving into it. There will be a real resistance in your brain to doing it because your brain's probably been keeping you safe from it intellectually by eating cookies and staying very busy and other things that I do. Um, But you do at some point need to at least walk in there and see. And if it is overwhelming, then you know maybe the writing is not the place to do it and you need to go get a therapist and get some structure around it. But I do think, don't, I just want, I don't want people to use that as an excuse either uh, to no, not. I write, yeah. I am writing about type one diabetes, but I am right. I'm journaling. I'm writing. I'm not trying to put it into a project right now that I feel like will be a finished thing in a month. Yeah, because it's right? an active am, thing that's happening. So go yeah. and put it in a journal. But if you're also writing, not you, Lori, but a person, and all of a sudden this other character shows up and you find out they've betrayed your main character and you feel this lava come up and you're like, fuck that, that's not what the, where this is going. No, 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 no. Yes, it yeah. is. Just for yeah. today, I want you to go over and let the story go off in that direction and see what happens, right? Or, you know, sometimes the brain is amazing. It'll just start flashing images and they don't even make sense and go together. But it's almost like smoke signals trying to get you over there, right? Um, Again, flattening things out or there's different ways to, to, and again, it's so personal and I've been doing this for a long time and yet I still, of course, avoid it because it's part of being a human being (laughs) that you avoid it. But I get think- overcomplicated. That's how I avoid it. Yes. I do. Like I'm writing about type one and I'm actually diving into a character in something. It might take me a long time though, to figure out who that character actually is, what the real story is there. Right. I'm not saying I'm not writing about it, but I'm not saying I'm going to finish a feature in six months about no, this thing. Be, right. I'm, I'm going to give myself some space and time to sort of sort it out. And it's not something I work on every day. I'm just sort of poking in there because that is how a part of how I process things with therapy. That and makes a lot of sense. Around. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, sometimes I feel like writing actually helps me when I am in the trauma. Yeah. I just feel like I'm not productive necessarily. Like, I, it helps me heal, but I don't know if it always leads to my best work. Like, I feel like in my mind, the first phase of lava is just like getting in there, knowing that like you might not, your story might not necessarily work, but you're doing a lot of healing just by kind of poking at it, like you said, Lorian. And then you're going to learn things about yourself and your characters and your journey with your daughter and all of that, I think by poking at it, but you're just not ready to tell a story about it yet. Does my that sound right? Is, yes. My experience is writing personal stuff is that there was a moment where you're like, oh, this is how it's not me. This is how it is the yeah. truth of what I want to write about. But there's enough distance here where I can actually start to make some changes. And I can yeah. actually see that they live in their own space and do their own things and that they they are not me. Mm-hmm. And that, that helped break a pro- different project I had that I was writing about something really personal. So I just have to trust that I know myself, which is hard. But uh, I think part of what you're talking about, Meg, is like, you know yourself, you know your process, you know when you're avoiding something, you know when you have to go in and do the work. Um, That's such an important part of this. Yeah, that feels very connected. I feel the same way, Lauren. I feel like that connects with me a lot, what you're saying. Um, That was a question from Jonathan, by the way. Thank you for the great question, Jonathan. I don't know if we exactly talked about this, but Christine asks, how do you actually find your lava and how can you help someone else find their lava? 
Well, finding someone else's lava, i.e. if you're a producer or a friend, is just asking a lot of questions about the choices they've made and why they're making them and, you know, what does that mean to them? What's their favorite scene? You know, what scene makes them feel emotional? Like, it'll start to show itself. It's, uh, but that's a lot of questioning. And, you know, when we go to Cinestory, if you have an hour and a half, we could be an hour in and all of a sudden, pop. Here comes a little bit of lava. Now, super, super smart people are going to take longer because they're really, really good at dodging, pretending. I'm not saying they're doing this consciously, but they are they are just super <laughs> good at not going into the lava often because um, they're so smart. Um, uh, the other thing I do is there's an exercise that all of you can do right now that really... Um, can quickly start to poke into the lava, which is, um, it, it also will start to show a kind of personal thematic that you're, or a question that you have or elements that you are trying to work on um, unconsciously. And um, Lori Hutzler is a, a consultant over in, I think she's in Britain now. Um, and she did this exercise with me year, years ago so I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, and it's very powerful. And you can do it as a producer or a friend too with your with another friend, which is, um, you know, so I want all of you guys listening to think about it's 11 o'clock at night and you're, you've got a big meeting in the morning or you've really got to get up and write and or go to work. And but you're jumping around the streamers and you come upon a movie and it might have already started. It's halfway through but you've seen this movie 10 times. There is no reason you should be staying up and watching this movie. And yet you're going to, you are now going to watch this whole movie because it's one of your favorite movies. And I don't mean favorite movies, like it's a good movie. It's a great movie. I mean, it's that movie that you so deeply love and feel connected to that you'll watch it anytime that it's up and, uh, and available to watch. Um, so just write down those three movies. It's best if they're, um, not ensemble. So if one of the movies that pops into your mind is an ensemble, um, write a, a fourth one. Don't go Google or look at your, you know, lists of movies. It's very important that it just be a movie that arrives in your head as I'm talking about it. Um, and it doesn't have to be, like I said, something that, you know, great critical acclaim at one Academy Award, like one of mine is somewhere in time. You know, I just love it with, I don't even know why. I just love it so much. Um, so if you write down those three movies, um, again, the first two usually come quickly and the third usually takes a little while. Um, and then I want you to go through and look at the basic story elements of each movie. Now, if you're a producer and you're trying to help the other person get into their lava, you can literally say, tell me the movie. And I don't mean summarize the movie. <laughs> I mean, okay, there's a girl, she's a teenager. Her name is Dorothy and she has a little black dog. And we open the movie with her running away from a nasty old woman on a bicycle who's trying to take her dog. And she runs to her aunt who is like her mother and it's expecting her aunt to defend her. And instead her aunt is not sure. And she might, she might, she's giving this woman her dog. And you, know, and you literally, you start to tell whatever scenes you can remember, start writing down. And if you're the producer, you start to listen to the words that are being used. And it's very amazing, the words that choice will tell you a lot. And if it's your own, you go ahead and start circling after you've written it down. Um, or you can just look at the character movement. So how do we meet the main character? What world are they in? What is their goals, their wants, their dreams? What do they think, who do they think they are in the world? What's their inciting incident? What's their end of act two? What is their goal? What's their plan? Where are they at the midpoint? Where are they at the end of act two? What's their epiphany? What is their come, you know, death moment? And where are they in the climax of the movie with all the movies that you've done? Just from memory, just from memory. And you'll start to see a pattern emerging and the lava is sitting right in there. And uh, I did this with a, one of the mentors up at Cinestory, um, super smart guy, just so smart. And he was like, okay, okay, I've been watching you do this with people. Do me, do me. So I sat down after lunch, dinner and I did it with him. And uh, and it was all about powerlessness and 
feeling overwhelmed by another power. And suddenly he's looking at me with tears in his eyes and he's telling me about a dream he had with his father carrying him into the water and he's going to drown him. Now it's not a memory. It's like this, and it just starts to come up. <laughs> and it, you know, when you're a producer and you're doing this with a person or you're a friend, it's a very sacred thing to do. And there has to be a lot of trust uh, because you're going to walk them in to their very vulnerable pieces. And sometimes it's just about letting it up and walk around. You don't have to do anything with it. You don't. Sometimes it's about taking it back to the story now, like, like Lorian's saying, quickly get it back into the story. So it's not a therapy session. You don't have, you're not trained. Like, so let's immediately get that back into the story. So, you know, with another writer, it's in a story. And if I told this last week, then we can cut this part. And another writer um, I was working with was talking about a girl dealing with the body of her dead father. And, but after talking to her for a good little while and realizing that it's her sister who died, and her sister who was the good daughter and all of the burden of that, of living. And I said, I'm not sure it's this right body that she's carrying around, right? We immediately have to go back to the character, right? I don't want, I'm not her therapist, but it's okay. What if it was a sister in the back and all here comes all the lava up, right? And what also starts to arrive is a lot of scenes that are very emotional and they might be out of order, but here they come because the complexity and the conflict of that of that emotional stuff is so rich that the scenes just start going pop, 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 right? So um, that's what you can do. That's an exercise for you. It's when you're writing and you start to feel it in your body, even if you don't feel it in your head. I want, like Lauren said, listen to your body. It knows when it's getting close to the lava. And that, because I do believe this is what your brain, that wiser, deeper part of you is writing towards it all the time. It really is. The intellect is starting to try to write away from it, but you've got it when you feel it in your body, just write towards it. I think, and if that was too long of an answer, you can cut it. I think it's like a very simple, hopefully not overly reductive thing too. Just like what keeps you up at night. I mean, like, I feel like there's a reason you haven't slept super well every night this year. And I bet a lot of that has to do with your lava. I'm sure you've had some weird dreams and things are showing up. And I think sometimes our heart knows what those dreams are really about. So I feel like my lava often unconveniently shows up when I'm trying to sleep, <laughs> but you can always <laughs> try to document it, pick up your phone and tell your phone what you're thinking or feeling, or try to write it down. Cause that sometimes that can be really valuable. And you don't have to, like the lava is going to arrive. It won't necessarily have an answer. It might just be a lot of questions. That's okay. It's going to arrive in whatever shape it arrives in. It's okay. I love this question as a last one because I think it's an important one. Lena asks, can lava be self-indulgent? I'm afraid it might only be my personal dilemma that I'm struggling with and not a universal thing to connect with other people. It's funny because as soon as, I just want to say, and then I'll, as soon as the word, what did she, what is the adjective? Self-indulgent. Yeah, so it's pretty good lava. Yeah, because it's, it's got to be really juicy because the intellect has already started to judge it. There's already shame. <laughs> it's already pushed it away, yeah. which means I promise you it's not self-indulgent. I promise you it is probably deeply human and vulnerable. And, and it's an exercise. Try it as an exercise. Um, I don't, you're an artist. Artists, there's no such thing as self-indulgent artists. I mean, it's an oxymoron. We are all about ourselves i mean that is just uh that is just the way we are but i'm sure that i mean go ahead laurie I, I cut you off there because i'm sure there's a we can think about the question in another way too that's no that's that's what i was gonna say it's the we're self-indulgent <laughs> you know we it's what we what we do uh but also it's the specificity yes. of your story that makes it relatable that it's the sort of unique point of view you have that you're allowing your characters to express that makes it interesting for an audience and makes it that's why we connect to it the, the specificity you would think is what takes it away from universal but it's actually what digs it deeper in uh, you know like I read this great story a little short story little tiny thing it was a paragraph about a woman who said you know I always just believe my mom didn't like me and finally, when I was in my 30s, I was brave enough. We were sitting on a, our front porch swing, going back and forth, looking out over the fields and the farms. And I, I got the courage and I asked her, mom, I just have always wondered, 
I just think you don't like me. And my mom said, do you see that light out there? And I looked forward and I saw a light on the horizon. And I was like, thinking this is gonna be a metaphor for something. And I say, yeah, I see the light. And her mom goes, I wonder what that is. And she stood up and she walked inside. Which wow. is the answer, huh. right? It's so specific. Yep. It's so quote unquote self-indulgent, but it's so vulnerable. It, it, then, and that story has stayed with me for years, probably because it connects to my own lava. But I'm just saying it's, it was so specific. It was a tiny little moment. And it was so human. There's a show on Broadway right now. It won the Pulitzer Prize this year. It's called A Strange Loop. I don't know if any of y'all have listened to the soundtrack or it's um, it's about uh, the words of the show. It's about a fat black queer man writing a show about what it would be like to write a show about what it would be like to be a fat black queer man. And it's it's literally like a show about the lava. Like he's just afraid to go in. And the six characters that surround him are called his thoughts. And it's all the self-hate manifested as people singing about why he shouldn't do this. Oh and my like, God, that's amazing. It's so brilliant. And like unimaginably as the straight white male representative on this show, I can't believe how moved I was by this show and how much I connected with it. And again, it's about a fat black queer man. So if there is an example right now in culture about how and why Lava connects with people, this is the show that won the Pulitzer Prize this year. So the soundtrack's incredible. And honestly, the whole show is kind of about what it means to go into your lava and all the voices that tell you not to. Really, really interesting. I, What's it I called it's, again? It's called A Strange Loop. A Strange Loop. Okay. So I think that's such a great place to end our show because we're all going to go. If you're near it, go see it. Tell us on the Facebook page how you liked it. We'll listen. I think that's amazing. So uh, come see us on the Facebook page. There's a lot of great stuff going on there. And uh, the Patreon, we're going to have some new workshops. So come over and see us and talk to us. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Five foot four high school gym sneaking a cupcake. These are my memories. These are my memories. Shooting hoops off the rim slow on the up. Take. These are my memories, these are my memories After gym, the locker room, my eyes photographing Naked me measures in at four and a half inches These are my memories, these are my memories Of one lone black air boy I knew who chose to turn his back on the world Thanks for tuning into The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. You can email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com for questions. I would highly recommend joining us on our Facebook group. You'll find a huge community of TSL supporters over there. Possibly start a writing group over there. Just amazing stuff. And of course, our Patreon as well. Um, we're actually running a workshop tonight, if you're listening on the Thursday this drops. Um, and if you join our Patreon at the top tier, you can get access to both that workshop and all of our backlog of workshops including some amazing story workshops and pitch fests and just really great stuff over on Patreon. So we hope you'll check that out. Uh, but in the meantime, keep writing. One lone black boy I knew who chose to turn his back on.